Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores contemporary art, design, and film scenes around the world. Sometimes, culture scenes transcend geographic boundaries. From Jamaica, Rosie Gordon-Wallace has called Miami, Florida home since the 1970s. A globally recognized curator, arts advocate, and community leader, she is a pioneer in heightening the visibility of contemporary diaspora art. In 1996, Gordon-Wallace launched a transformative enterprise, now known as Diaspora Vibe Cultural Arts Incubator, DVCAI, has become a creative laboratory, promoting, nurturing, and cultivating the vision and diverse talents of artists from the Caribbean diaspora, artists of color, and immigrant artists. DVCAI organizes public programs, residencies, exhibitions, and more. In 2021, Diaspora Vibe celebrates 25 years With Rosie Gordon-Wallace, we contemplate the significance of this moment. It is unimaginable that we have been able to stay on mission, which is really what I'm proud about, promoting, nurturing, and exhibiting artists from the Caribbean diaspora. Along with a board of dedicated folks over the 25 years, presently we have nine professional mostly Caribbean persons serving to realize the mission of DVCAI. You've been an amazing resource to the region, raising the profile of art from the Caribbean. In Miami, you've played an important role by taking artists that live here with the heritage from the region that may have never been there in their lifetime. And allowing them to experience their culture firsthand. Through the support of the County Miami-Dade Cultural Affairs, we have been able to activate an international cultural exchange for 20 years. Even if they're hyphenated Caribbean folk, they're sometimes third-generation first immigrants here in Miami that have never gone home. And it is an emotional home as opposed to a geographic home. It's so expensive to travel to and around the Caribbean that it's precluding many people with the origins there of returning or even going one time. You, you are absolutely correct. Hence my gratitude and debt to the Miami-Dade Cultural Affairs. I think they are one of the few cultural affairs departments that have recognized this cross-cultural border looking at the Global South as an important part of our lives here in Miami. Miami's been called the capital of the Global South. We're also the crossroads. The movement from island to island in the Caribbean is not an easy one. It is economically advantageous for you to come through Miami. Let's revisit your origin story, Diaspora Vibes' origin story. I'm happy to. 1996, a group of artists were now coming back home after four-year study at universities, RISD, Chicago Institute, Pratt, coming back home and not finding a space for themselves that they could call their own. 
and they were complaining that they're doing what the industry says they're supposed to do. They're sending their portfolios out, they're making appointments, and then when they would turn up, there wouldn't be a fit. We're not labeling why there wasn't a fit, but there wasn't a fit. I got tired of the complaints, so I said, let's do something for ourselves. I look back now, it was really a point of resistance. We started first as Diaspora Vibe Gallery. We started at the Bakehouse Art Complex with one studio, and then we ended up with three. And we did a program called Final Fridays, where the last Friday of every month, we will tour three or four artists. And then in 2003, we became a nonprofit. The real work in terms of the cultural and curatorial economy started then. I was able to apply for small grants. It is through that mechanism that I've been able to continue to do the work. What do you consider the greatest challenge that you faced in this work over these 25 years? Sustainability. Every year working with our board, it is about how do we sustain this project? I've been able to encourage through the board and with the board funders to help us. But it is not uncommon when I had this space in the design district 17 years ago on North Miami Avenue to have a friend come in and say, did you sell anything yet, Rosie? And I would say, no. He or she would say, okay, I'll take this. And the rent would be covered for that month. So it's been done with a philanthropic spirit, not the usual way where big checks have been written, but in partnership with funders. I've always had to tell the story of why we matter. It's been a long storytelling journey. The most rewarding discovery you've made in the process of creating and sustaining this entity? The reward comes through the individual, through the artist. I'm happiest when I see them maturing. In the 25 years, you would have thought that we would have been able to move more, taking artists from emerging to mid-career. That is a long process, and I am recognizing now just how long it is. The reward is after they have completed the art. The work has been selected, the work has been mounted. People have come and enjoyed it, and then somebody has purchased it. That is a full art. This notion of the starving artist is not something I prescribe to. We talk about the traveling exhibition that she organized, Intersectionality, Diaspora Art from the Creole City. Creole Miami, Black Arts in the Magic City, a new book by Caribbean scholar Donette Francis, inspires the show's title. The exhibition opened in Washington, D.C. in November 2019 at George Washington University's Corcoran School of the Arts and Design. Intersectionality, diaspora art from the Creole city originated there. It is a historical space a block across from the White House in a time when America was really struggling with our everyday definition of democracy. This exhibition has taken a journey itself. Tell me about the journey. We traveled next to the Harvey B. Gantt Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, an African-American center for contemporary art right in the heart of Charlotte. We had the entire museum to curate the work. People came and they did a Zoom series with our artists, but we never really were able to open because of the pandemic. 
Now here, Craig Robbins from the Miami Design District invited us to come home. And we, you know, I started here in a huge warehouse that Craig gifted us. In the exhibition, 28 artists from 18 countries with Miami ties reflect the emergence of Miami as the Creole city and diaspora art as a local, regional, and global phenomenon. When you look at the transatlantic slave movement, as painful and cruel as slavery was, there are ancestors that we can access. There are places where people continue to do their African rituals. Brazil is such a place, New Orleans is such a place, and the Gullah country is such a place. Miami has ritualistic ancestral practices and knowledge. All of that is who we are as Creole people. It is about race and color, but it is also about culture. It is also about politics. It's also about displacement. The art bears witness to the complexities of cultural identity. The exhibition does not shy away from addressing harsh realities. I want to talk a little bit about the difficulty to do Rosa Nade Gamendia's work, Rituals of Commemoration. Rosa is from Cuba. She's documenting the lives of African-American women and, and men, LGBTQ women and men, and Asian women and men who have been killed by the police, many of whom have not come to justice. This commemoration is done through columns using regular bricks on which she writes the person's name. They are there for you to see. It calls upon us to name folks and commemorate lives. Gordon Wallace intends to challenge universally shared fantasies about the Global South. Evelyn Pulitzer from Uruguay says there are more sheep than people in Uruguay. And she uses this soft knitting technique to make these beautiful teardrops to bring memory of the ocean. It's the only time that I'm using blue to commemorate the ocean. I wanted to change people's expectance that the Caribbean Sea was going to be in the exhibition. So we're actually using Chantal James's image on all of our branding of that young man walking through water, looking into the future, but the water is not the Caribbean Sea. It's actually water from Portugal, where Chantal was staying. And Chantal is a photographer that now lives in Brazil. We've worked with her for 15 years. Intersectionality purposefully explores contemporary social issues that stem from xenophobia and nationalism. Michael Elliott is talking about Windrush. England came to the Caribbean looking for able-bodied people to come and work, and many went looking for opportunity. Sixty years later, there have been no acts for paperwork. In a time globally where America was leading this conversation around borders, England was doing the same thing, and they deported shiploads of these people back to the Caribbean, some of them in their 70s, criminal. So Michael is using the metaphor of how when you make a cup of tea with really hot water, if you do it the British way, it seeps everything out of you. He's looking at that metaphor to talk about the criminality of Windrush. Three pieces, they're beautifully painted using the royal blue color. Somehow in the colonial past, <laughs> 
from the Caribbean that blue attaches our memory to royalty and monarchy. One project offers sensorial experiences that link science to spirituality and painting to performance. Asir St. Val from Haiti, who started with us in 1996, he is talking about melanin through the Philosopher's Stone, a performative sensory piece that is downstairs in our atrium with this amazing sculptural image poking us to talk about the science of melanin in our bodies using paintings and performance. You've been involved in heightening the visibility of Black art in Miami ever since you came here. What shifts do you see in the cultural landscape since you came? I came here in 1978. Barbara Gilman and Virginia Miller were the two women who had galleries here. And then later on, Bernie Steinbaum came. Through a lens of gender, those three women have led with their galleries. Now, if you look at it through a lens of race, we have not increased that at all. The shift that I am noticing is that there hasn't been an increase in spaces for black bodies to feel safe to show their work. It's not a critique, it's just a fact. I'm an incubator space. I've been moved around more times than I want to because when you don't own, you have to leave because rents increase and you can't afford to pay the rent. So the simple answer is there are more black artists and many of them are flourishing. Many of them are finding spaces to work and thrive in Miami. But when you look at the percentages and the frequency, the numbers are still low. The Miami Art Museum is now the Perez Art Museum, and they have a lens on the Caribbean, and Franklin Sermons has been really scholarly in how he has done that work. I also think that MOCA has done an extremely amazing job with being in a primarily Haitian geography and giving artists of color that space to show their work. The Frost Museum as well has shown a lot of their student artists and have brought blockbuster artists to the space. This never happened in the 70s. We consider how the resurgent Black Lives Matter movement has influenced the tone and clarity of public discourse. What has happened in this moment I've never seen in my lifetime is that now I can say words like systemic racism. We never used to say that. Nobody talked like that. I think that there's a recognition and partnership around the U.S., around the globe. People are having dialogue with difficult issues. What is feeding the movement is that there isn't social equity. People want to live in spaces where they can flourish. It's a human right. They want health care. They want to be able to bring up their children and have good education. I'm just speaking as a black woman now. We want to find a place where the trauma in our bodies can be diluted. We live with a trauma that I don't think most white Americans understand. Trauma through how we have to instruct our children to be careful. The pain we feel when you don't hear from your boy for two or three days and you wonder where that young man is or where your husband is or your lover is. That's a daily pain. There's a call to action embedded in the exhibition. What I am hoping is that this exhibition will spark a conversation that social justice is a human right. 
And as we're coming up on some real markers, the Rodney King beating Marielle Franco's death in Brazil, LGBTQ woman that was murdered, these memories are not going away. So how do we use the memory to inform activism within ourselves? How do you think this will impact the next generation of artists? I think that they're going to be emboldened. I think that they're impatient because they're young. I also think that they are going to call you on your game, meaning the institutions, the establishments, the galleries. I think that they're going to say, I have done the work, now show up. And they may not be polite, and they may be a little braggadocious, but I'm enjoying their fearlessness, their naivety that years have not yet tarnished. And I'm hoping that they'll come back and look at my generation with a new understanding. I feel a deep sense of appreciation and gratitude for the moment, this now. This is the Fresh Art International podcast. I'm Kathy Bird. Miami-based curator and arts advocate Rosie Gordon-Wallace cultivates opportunities for artists of Caribbean origin, emigrant artists, and artists of color through her globally engaged practice. The exhibition Intersectionality, Diaspora Art from the Creole City, celebrates a milestone for Gordon-Wallace and the communities she has served since 1996. The bold and beautiful display gives voice and form to an ascendant art community. If you like what you're hearing, please take a few minutes to rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you go to listen. Follow us on social media at FreshArtINTL. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts and listeners like you make Fresh Art International possible. Visit our site to learn more and get to know our podcast archive. We've been building it since 2011. While you're there, sign up for our latest news and give a donation to support these stories. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.